Thanks for taking the time to listen to our latest content here on the Blood Red channel. Guy here with just a quick message. Do you want the very latest Liverpool FC news directly into your inbox? Well then sign up to our daily LFC newsletter, which will bring you the breaking news and big events from around Anfield. To subscribe, just go to bit.ly forward slash LFC newsletter. That's B-I-T dot L-Y forward slash LFC newsletter. Or click the link in the description of this podcast and pop in your email address. It really is that simple. That link once more bit.ly forward slash LFC newsletter. Well, thanks for your time and on with the podcast. This is the Blood Red podcast from the Liverpool Echo, giving you the inside track on all the big talking points from Anfield. Hello and welcome to a special podcast on the Blood Red channel. And as those of you watching on YouTube will be able to see, I'm delighted to have alongside me a man who has become a real part of the furniture at Anfield over the last half a century or so. George Sefton has been Anfield matchday announcer since 1971, making his debut the same day as legendary striker Kevin Keegan. And since then, the Reds have won six European Cups, 11 league titles, six FA Cups, eight league Cups, three Europa League titles, and this season, of course, the FIFA Club World Cup too. George, thanks so much for joining us. It's great to have you on the podcast. Good to be here. Glad to be speaking to the outside world. Yes, uh, we're obviously in very strange times at the moment and it, it's really difficult for everyone. But, you know, how are you getting on during the lockdown? Um, strange to be late. It's OK. Um, <clears throat> my wife is looking after me. Um, we, by strange coincidence, we started going back to the old fashioned way of having milk and newspapers delivered about a month before lockdown. Um, so we're, we're doing okay. Obviously, once in a while you you want to you start the screaming habdabs. You just want to go out. I I just like to go in a shop or shake somebody's hand. Anything, you know, just just and obviously uh, a football match would be nice. Uh, well, that's under discussion at the moment. Uh, I'll be glad when somebody up there makes a decision. We can get on with uh, what we've got to do. Yeah, hopefully we might know a bit more uh, by the end of this week. We're recording yeah. this a little bit in advance of, of when it's going to come out, but hopefully by the time this is published, there might be a, a little bit more news on when Liverpool yeah. and, and the rest of the Premier League can come back. But uh, let's go back right to the beginning. You're obviously the, the second longest serving matchday stadium announcer in the English game at the moment. And mm-hmm. you know, you've become a real tradition and, and sort of part of the history of Liverpool Football Club. That's definitely fair to say. And, and anyone who's been at Anfield will, will recognise your voice. So, Take us back to day one. How on earth did you end up getting this job? Uh, that's a very reasonably well-known story nowadays. I was at a match in the spring of 71 with my wife. Uh, we were standing in the old paddock, which for any of you of a certain age won't recognise, that was what is now the front lower of the main stand. Uh, it was a standing enclosure then. The guy who was on the, the old tannoy at the time, I didn't know. He was a stand-in for the fellow who was doing it regularly. And he'd been there a couple of months. He'd made some horrendous bloomers. And that particular night, he did something stupid. And I said to my wife, this guy's embarrassing. And she just looked at me deadpan and said, it's all right for you standing down here. But you couldn't do any better. And for whatever reason... 
I, to this day, I don't know what possessed me. I went home and wrote a very long letter to Peter Robinson, which boiled down to, dear sir, gives a job, I can do that. And uh, the next thing I know, I'm in Peter's office. And the next thing I know after that, I'm up on the old uh, TV gantry in the roof of the, the old main stand, which, as it happened, was new at the time. That was that when the main stand we had opened in August '71. It was it was a strange old world. Yeah, I mean, you've obviously been there almost half a century now, as I said. And I mean, yeah. at the time when you first got the job, did you ever think that you'd still be doing it to this day? No. Absolutely, that never occurred to me. Um, I remember at the the end of the first season, uh, sort of politely asking uh, Peter Robinson, "Was I coming back in August?" And he he said something like, "Oh, you're part of the furniture now," but uh, nothing sort of commit uh, to commit himself. And I thought, well, here we go. And then anyway, I got the call and I went back. In theory, I'm still on trial. You know, I've got the job permanently, but I, I think I'm uh, reasonably well established now. It'd be nice to get the, the 50 seasons out of the way, to be quite honest. And the, uh, the way things are at the moment, you know, my 50th season should be starting in August 2020. It could start in August 2021, for all we know. I mean, when the, the, the men in suits make their decision, we might have a better idea, but at the moment, it's, it's just crazy. Yeah, it's a difficult scenario for all Liverpool fans, isn't it, at the yeah, moment? Yeah. But uh, obviously, we've been missing the football for the last few weeks. But I read recently that in your entire time at Anfield, you've only ever missed six matches. Is that I true? And, and if so, that's quite the achievement. It's Yes, the, it's annoying that the way it fell out. I'd like to have a clean record, but things happened. I know uh, 1973, I was best man at somebody's wedding. Um 1974, I missed the testimony, I missed Ron Yeats' testimonial. I uh, was set upon uh, up in Kirby the Saturday after the Cup final in 74. And uh, I listened to Ron Yeats' testimonial on hospital radio. I was lying in Walt Hospital having my jawbone uh, sewn back together. Then 1993, I was working away in uh, Walthamstow. Sorry, Bournemouth Wood. I was staying in Walthamstow, working in Bournemouth Wood. I just couldn't get to the, the midweek games. Uh, my friend Ron Tierney, who is, uh, works for the BBC, has done for a long, long time. He is now my understudy again, strange to relate, because he moved back north from London. 18 months ago, so he's uh, he's my understudy now. He did the midweeks, I came home for the weekends. Uh, and then, last but not least, October 2008, my eldest son got married down in Crawley. Uh, and obviously I had to be there. If it, we were hoping against hope when the fixtures came out in 2008 that Liverpool would be away that weekend, but they weren't. We were playing Wigan at home. So there was, there was no chance of the game being moved to the Sunday. Uh, so I missed the game, and that, that was weird. I know a few people were a bit perplexed when I didn't turn up. And I, uh, my other lad started getting uh, text messages during the the, uh, the ceremonies. What's going on? Where is, where's your dad? Where's your dad? 
Is he okay? Is he okay? Uh, but touch wood, I haven't missed one since. And I'm, obviously, I'm, um, I'm going to miss, if they play behind closed doors, I imagine I'll be missing uh, one or two this year because they won't. I don't think they'll need me to play even a walk alone to an empty stadium. I'll be very pleased that they do because apart from anything else, I'm you know I'm a Liverpool fan. I want to be there when they win this league. You know, it's uh, but as I say, that's all for discussion. It could go umpteen different ways. So fingers crossed. Yeah, let's wait and see what happens in that regard. But I mean, over your time with Liverpool, you must have met some pretty famous figures and, and sort of been involved with players and, and managers and various sorts of things. Is there anybody who you'd say you've become particularly close to or, or have enjoyed meeting the most? Well, uh, in different ways. Um, yeah, I mean, I'm, my uh, wife used to work with Steve McManaman's mum. And when he was coming through the, the ranks and coming up, uh, obviously it was, it was weird talking across from different aspects of the club. I still see Steve occasionally, and he's always very pleased to see me. Always stop for a chat, you know, know his wife and all the rest of it. Um, players of that era and previously, uh, I'm still pally with. Uh, this current crop are different in as much as the, it's the way the club is now. There are two blocks of people. Uh, well, there are probably three. There's the the full-time admin staff uh, down in Chapel Street, the playing staff up in Melwood, and obviously the management, and then the peasants, you know, the, the part-time casual. Um, I'm still listed as a part-time casual steward, strange related. That's, um, it's a joke in this house that when I die on my headstone, uh, my wife's going to have inscribed, he, I am not a bloody steward. Just, I, I'm, I have a great deal of respect for the stewards at Anfield, but I am not a steward. I'm uh, yeah, obviously what I do is is unique and uh, a one-off job. So uh, I'm very proud to be part of Liverpool Football Club, but it's it's very odd. I mean, it, it, people have perceptions of me. They've grown up over the years. They think I get paid a hundred grand a week like the players. Uh, I go home with 500 free tickets every week and I'm buzzing pals with Jurgen Klopp. None of those things could be further from the truth. Uh, I mean, the meeting people, you meet, obviously, uh, you, get, you get to meet players uh, and some of the older players, certainly. I mean, the likes of Ian St. John, who was my idol when I was a kid. Uh, Kenny Dalglish, who's still my idol now, who Again, he always, always looks like he's so pleased to see you. He's, he's wonderful, Kenny. Um, then, uh, you know, I've only met Jürgen, what, three times since he's been here. You know, he, he's on a match day now where I, I sit. Basically, means I'm literally uh, set apart from the, the playing staff. They, they live on the main stand side of the ground and uh, I live on the far side of the ground and never the train shall meet. But the, I always say the best thing about what my job is the people I've met. I mean, I said to somebody the other day, I mean, you know, over the years, I've got to be on first name terms with some several big people in the entertainment industry. Um, you know, 
actors, celebrity fans, basically, uh, some musicians, Elvis Costello, for instance, uh, I managed to uh, broker his 65th birthday party at Anfield last year, which was just insane. You know, I, I, uh, I don't know if you read the story on online anywhere. I'm a huge fan of Elvis Costello's wife, Diana Kroll. Um, Someday I'd always wanted to meet, and I got to meet her uh, 18 months ago. And after I uh, got onto the club and organised his 65th birthday trip to Anfield, uh, I said to somebody, I think that woman's wonderful, and now apparently she thinks I'm wonderful too, so I can, I can live with that. I mean, you know, take me outside and shoot me now, that, that's as good as it gets. You know. Yeah, I'm sure there's plenty of Liverpool fans who think the same way. Obviously, you've become, as I said, a, a part of the furniture at Anfield. And, yeah. you know, like myself, you, you're fortunate to be there, obviously, in normal circumstances, week in, week out, when the Reds are, are playing and, yeah. and you get to see this brilliant team every week. Jurgen Klopp, of course, as you say, is in charge of the players now. And for me, the, the bond between the supporters and the players has, has never really been stronger. Would you agree with that under Jurgen Klopp? Yeah, absolutely. I, I did um, an interview with a German TV company recently. Uh, they were talking, obviously, about Jurgen. And I said he's, he's probably the only manager in my time who's come close to the, the Shankly level. Um, I excluded Kenny from the conversation because Kenny, I don't think of Kenny Dalglish as merely a manager, if you see it to me. It sounds odd, but he was such a great, he's still the best player I've ever seen, Kenny. And I don't just mean at Anfield, I mean anywhere. I'd still, I wouldn't swap anybody for Kenny. He was a terrific manager. He's a great bloke. What he did through Hillsborough, set him aside from anybody. So you just you exclude him from the conversation about people who are just managers of Liverpool Football Club. But on that level, Jurgen is up there with Shanks and he the way he gels with the supporters, the way you know he thinks of the supporters and the way the way they think of him. I mean, over the years you know yourself that managers have come and gone and Certain managers have understood the ethos of the local football club. People say that a manager either gets it or they don't. There's no middle road. Uh, Rafa did. Jürgen obviously does. Not sure that Brendan Rodgers did. I think he did. Uh, but then Roy Hodgson really just didn't understand. He, he's, first week he's there, he's talking about my pal Alex Ferguson. At that point, you think, whoa, oh, hang on. This is Liverpool. You know. I had a Facebook friend request the other day from somebody I don't know whose uh, whose nickname was Alex Ferguson, and I, I just said no, sorry. You know, what's, is this a wind up or not? Well, I'm not being your Facebook friend, mate. Click, go away. So that's that's the way it was. But Jurgen, you know, he, he he's such a dynamo. He's he's such a a dynamic. First, I mean, he's got the charisma that Shanks had in spades. I always said, Shankly, you know, the, the sad thing about Bill Shankly was that he, he didn't go into politics when he'd finished with football because the world would be a different place, I swear it would. It would. And when Jurgen 
uh, eventually gets fed up with Liverpool. I hope they just plug him into the, the national grid and leave him there because we'll you keep the country going for quite a while. Yeah, he certainly would, and he certainly inspired a few brilliant Anfield nights, which we're going to get onto in uh, just a few moments' time. But I know you've spoken in the past quite extensively about sort of your match day routine and, and the things that you have to do in and around Anfield. But I yeah. want to, to go into a, a little bit more detail on the music. Obviously, Liverpool is a, a city, and, and music is sort of absolutely interlinked over the years, and it sort of makes a, a huge difference, I think, to the match day experience for fans. What music you play, it's it's yeah. a pretty big responsibility, isn't it? It's frightening sometimes. You think, oh, whoa, you know, have I, you know, I, I, I made the difference today. You know, one, or, one or two games over the years, I've come home and I think, well, I, I, I enhanced the atmosphere. I helped Liverpool, you know, tonight to get where they, they were. It's much more difficult now than it was simply because of the, the all-seater uh, stadium. Um, before 1994, the atmosphere used to build for a couple of hours. You could feel it building. And sometimes, especially in the 70s, you know, when Leeds were our big rivals, um, when we played them or United or Everton, um, the gates would be open sort of three hours before kickoff. And there'd be a lot of people that wanted to you know, listen to music. And I'd get to three o'clock and I'd slump back into my chair, exhausted. But nowadays, the atmosphere, I've, I've realised it's as good as it ever was quite a lot of the time. But it, it doesn't build. It, it's like an on-off switch now. It, it happens in the last, I don't know, 15, 20 minutes before kickoff because you know, people aren't in the ground. There's no need to be. You know, when I was a kid, um, or even you know, in my teens, well, going to Anfield, you had to get there early. So to make sure you get in and make sure you get the spec. I admired my own favourite slap bang in the middle of the cop, halfway up, back to a crush barrier. And you had to get there in queue and battle your way in to get your space. Nowadays, 54,000 people turning up to Anfield, they've got a piece of paper in their pocket that says, you're going to get in and this is where you're going to be sitting. You no need to worry. So, uh, you know, they're inclined to spend an extra half hour in, you know, especially on a, a bad day. And you, you sit in the lounge when it's nice and warm and there's a TV and food and drink. You know, whoa, why, why would you dash out? But when it gets going, it really, you know, really, really is, uh, is something else. The Blood Red Podcast from the Liverpool Echo. In terms of the the order of the music that you play, you know how much thought goes into oh I'll, I'll play this one first and then that one or you know what's the sort of process behind that? Um, it's it, I spend a lot of time thinking about it nowadays. Obviously, I'm not working nine to five anymore. Um, before I, uh, I I retired from the full time job, I used to have to just basically throw a, a pile of CDs in my bag and go up to Liverpool. Now I spent the time between games uh, downloading stuff, ripping CDs and shuffling playlists around. Uh, so I've got something you know, worth having. Um, and then the, the order I play in, obviously the quieter stuff first, then I'll play stuff that's um, 
sort of current, you know, out of the current charts, maybe on something stuff I don't like, but I know other people do like. Uh, I'll play, you know, I don't know, up to an hour before kickoff, and then gently build it up over a period of time. So the last half hour is um, stuff that the crowd love, the regular anthems. Um, and obviously the last few months, that's fallen into a pattern. That somebody suggested to me about, I don't know, six, seven months ago, uh, about playing um, ACDC, uh, Thunderstruck. And uh, I banged that on after Peter had read the teams one day, and it was brilliant. And you can, it's perfect for you know, building an atmosphere. Um, and then there was this business before that with um, Tower of Strength by the Mission, uh, which I, I was playing for a while. I know Wayne Hussey uh, of the Mission, who strangely lives in Brazil now. He has done for a long time. But I know when he comes, he's chuffed a bit, so I get to play him. But Tower of Strength is, again, it's, it's great. The thumping anthem that builds an atmosphere up. And the other thing, uh, incidentally, about Tower of Strength, it goes on for eight minutes, so I can I can quite happily fill any unexpected gaps with that and, and fade it out uh, if needs be. But um, there, are, there are things I, I have to, to squeeze in. Obviously, you never walk alone is time nowadays. Um, I think it was Rafa who moved it, who issued the instruction to move it to when the teams were out on the pitch, which I didn't like at the time. But now we've got into a routine and it, it works. It works well now. But um, before that, if things change week in week out, you know, if there's people in the audience, I mean, when Elvis Costello's there, I'll, you know, I'll play a couple of his tracks, obviously. Um, I know Paul McCartney's son-in-law quite well. He comes with his uh, his kids uh, occasionally, and when they're in uh, in the stand, I'll be playing a couple of Paul McCartney tracks and then things like. And then there's there are so many good new bands I like to squeeze in, but they they have to come in the slot before the the, the atmospheric stuff. So it's it's quite a trick, uh, and obviously I'm lucky because. I started um, going to Anfield uh, January 1960 as a fan. So I I built my way up through the Beatles era. Uh, 1962 was when we got our first proper sound system, which coincided with the Mersey Beat era and the the sudden burst of of new rock um, Liverpool-based and British-based rock music so it, that, that's when the two things married together and i'm i'm still living on the, the coattails of that all these years later yeah looking ahead to next season then let's suppose liverpool do win the premier league again potentially yeah. everyone inside anfield they can celebrate properly that would of course be the 50th year that, that you've been at anfield as well yeah. i mean might that be the ideal time to go out on a high or, or do you want to continue to go and oh. do this job for as long as possible I, I change my mind week in, week out. Sometimes you think, oh, this is so much stress. I can do without it. Obviously, I want to get the 50 in. That's, that goes without saying. Um, but 
it's like what would did John Lennon say? Life is what happens when you're making other plans, and that's that's me at the moment. I mean, first of all, you know, my my first objective, of course, is to survive uh, the coronavirus. Touch wood, I'm doing okay. I'm locked in my house, uh, feeling okay. Um, get back to Anfield. We'll see what cooks. Get this season's trophy won. That will be a huge, huge milestone in my life. And the end of the next season, okay, 50 um, finished and done. That's a good time to go. But then I'm thinking they're expanding the Anfield Road stand. I would love to be playing to 61,500 people as opposed to 54. Uh, and if I get the opportunity to do that, great. But I mean, I, you know, I'm. Uh, in my mid seventies now, I feel great. You know, I'm still got uh, the desire, and I'm still obviously doing the right stuff with the playlist. Uh, I might lose my marbles. I get more. Might get run over by a bus. Uh, the club might say, "Okay, George, you've had a good innings. Now, you know, here's a seat at the stands. Go away." Um, I don't know. I really do not know. I, I wouldn't like to bet any money on it. I'm just, I've got no sort of overriding feelings at the moment about you know uh, my future and I'm, as I say the way things are at the moment you're just glad to get through uh, this particular nightmare it's it's weird I know I told a few people recently that earlier this year I did a few interviews with people and the people I was talking to were sort of saying when Liverpool win the league and I kept saying I've got this just this horrible feeling hanging over me. I don't know what it is. There's this strange feeling at the back of my mind that something awful is going to happen. Uh, I'm, I'm making a joke about uh, the FA will suddenly discover that um, Virgil van Dijk's paperwork was out of order or something and deduct 50 points. You know, there was just something I knew at the back of my mind. I couldn't relax and say, here we go, we're going to win the league. Obviously, uh, it's all happened and I'm thinking... Oh, yeah, wow, that's really, really freaked me out. And I, I'll, at this point, I'm just, you know, I spend an awful lot of time watching news bulletins and every chink of light, like you know, the, the infection rates falling, this is falling, that's happening, they're going to undo lockdown. I, I just, you know, listen to every minute I can and, and take every crumb of comfort I can. That's, that's what I want to just get through this and then. We're worried about 2021. I mean, this is this is a strange, strange year. I mean, my wife and I have been married 50 years in November. My poor wife turned 80 the first day of lockdown. You couldn't have timed it worse. Um, you know, we had a big party planned. Obviously, that all went belly up. You know, that ended up on a uh, you know a video conference with the the rest of the family. You know, with her poor woman standing there with her birthday cake, and it, it's just it's just insane what's going on. We want, we want to get through this and then take a deep breath and hope that everything gets back to normal. Yeah, absolutely. Let's hope that you know the the football and, and normal life can resume sooner sooner rather than later, and let's just uh, take it one step at a time. But before we finish, let's move on to possibly the greatest night that Anfield has ever witnessed. It's almost yeah. uh, a year as we speak that yeah. that Liverpool beat Barcelona four nil last season, and 
Before we go on to the game itself, what were your thoughts after the first leg? Obviously, Liverpool had lost 3-0, Lionel Messi's wonderful free kick. Did you think it was over? Yes, really and truly. It, I said, when, you know, in the lead-up to the game, you're thinking, well, that's sad. 3-0 down. I know we've done it before on a neutral ground, but 3-0 to what is allegedly the best team on the planet... Uh, you know, we didn't get an away goal. Two of our star players are cropped. It's just, it, it's as near as damn it to impossible to do anything about that. It really is. So let's turn up to Anfield and enjoy the football. You know, there, there are occasions over the years you watched. I mean, uh, we watched World Cup and the Euros on TV when England aren't playing. You just, you're watching to, you know, I don't know, Holland and France and thinking, what a great football match, and you enjoyed the football. It was going to be one of those nights and nothing more. Yeah, certainly it was a, a strange one going into the, the second leg, but you fast forward a week, and you know, on that day leading up to the match, was there any part of you that sort of felt that there might be a little bit of hope? Was there, was there a sense that something might be brewing? I have to be honest and say not really. I, think, I don't think anything was brewing until Divock scored the first goal. And then you think, oh, you know, <laughs> that's a goal, that's one. You know. and, uh, and the way, just just the, again, the atmosphere in the in the place and the body language of the, the Barker players, it was very strange at that point. They were, I think it, it, it just, it, it was like having, having a script written. You couldn't have worked it out better. Yeah, I think if it was a, a story that, that one of us had written, nobody would have believed that it's it. actually exactly. taken place. Where the Rovers lives, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you mentioned the Divock Origi goal early doors. Was that the moment that you properly believed, or, or did you even did it take the second goal for you to fully understand what was happening? Well, it, it was the second goal that, that did it. I remember um, Phil Thompson talking about Istanbul, and he said there was a moment... Uh, when we switched from hope to belief and the second goal was that moment and obviously the equaliser and you could see the looks on the, the Barcelona players faces thinking what's going on here this wasn't supposed to happen we're Barcelona and they, they couldn't cope with it they really couldn't cope with it and when that third goal goes in and it's 3-0 on the night yeah. you've obviously got to announce the goal scorer yeah. do you have to sort of compose yourself before you do that? Uh, I try. Uh, there are one or two occasions occasions when I've I've lost with touch wood. I like to think I've been professional, but at that point I really was, you know, stepping up the couple of decibels. I was, I just couldn't believe what I was watching. Then really, just could not believe it. Yeah, Genie Wijnaldum and, and Divock Origi, the heroes on the night, as well as plenty of others, and, and Trent Alexander-Arnold as well yeah. with. Of course, that quickly taken corner, which has yeah. gone down in history. We've seen so many Champions League nights with, you know, Steven Gerrard and, yeah. and various players with inherent Liverpool connections. Do you think it makes it even more special when there's a scouser in the team? Absolutely. I, I don't think of Ill Liverpool without scousers in the team. We've got, we've got obviously Trent is well established. Uh, we've got. Uh, Curtis Jones coming through, I think he's going to be a big star. And you know, the years and years ago, Shanks used to have what he called the spine of his team. Um, 
you know, there were, there were Scousers in it, and the, the rest of them were Scottish by and large. And they, you know, but the spine now, I think we've got to have a Liverpool heart to the team. We, we had a few years ago, we had Stevie G and Jamie Callagher, and you know, the rest of the team were literally built around them. John Smith, the old chairman, used to say you couldn't win the league without a Scott in the team. And now, obviously, we've got uh, Robbo. So we've 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 uh, we've done that bit of the jigsaw. So I'm, I think we're well placed. But um, Trent Alexander-Arnold, he he must be permanent living in cloud cuckoo land. I, I know the guy appreciates it as well. He's um, he's not you know a, a big head that think like he's he's crafted. He wants to go on and and improve and get more trophies. And he's he's not got a bad little uh, medal collection already and he's, he's still not the allowed. I'll say that night. And the, I had a quiz question last year. Um, what does the name Oakley Canonier mean to in the history of Liverpool Football Club? And people looked at me crackily. He was the ball boy who, who had the cocum to throw that ball so quickly to Trent. You know, and he so as we watch it, I watch that little clip over and over again. When I get a spare mark five minutes, I watch it. And I still can't believe it. You know, it was as if the rest of the you know, the the match just froze in the background. You know, the Barcelona players, the rest of the Liverpool team, and the spectators. And when it went in, I thought, is he going to allow that? Is he? Is, and the referee is pointing for a goal. And, I'm waiting for VAR to burst into life. Nothing happened. And I, if you watch a, a playback, there was a, quite a delay before I announced that goal. I, I genuinely could not believe it. And then, of course, I went ballistic like everybody else. And then you, you sit, you know, biting your fingernails for the rest of the game, uh, just hoping against hope that Barker don't squeeze a goal in because if they did, it was all for nothing. But we we got through it and. That really was the best atmosphere I've ever been involved in as a spectator or uh, as the stadium announcer. It was incredible. And incredible. At the end of the game, what was the sort of overriding emotion? Was it relief, joy, disbelief? All three. Relief, obviously, when the final whistle again went. And then the joy of realising what we've done. And... Um, I don't think I slept that night. I think I came in and sat and looked at the wall for a couple of hours. You know, just there was no way I was going to sleep. I was so excited. Um, and I know, uh, you know, the way it went at the end. I, I banged on you, never walk alone. And just as the, the squad were lining up in front of the cop, that again, you couldn't have written that. The timing was perfect. And, um, then when we'd finished that, I'm thinking, right, they're all going to go home now. Nobody moved on the cop. And I just looked down, and there's Imagine by John Lennon staring at me on the... I have a little stock of uh, compilation CDs there, just in case uh, my USB ports go awry. It does happen once in a while. I have actually broken a memory stick full of a match, match day music in there before now. And so I just grabbed this thing and bugged on the first track, which was Imagine. And the whole cop took it up. 
and it was a, the most magical moment ever. And I just, you know, you, that's when I, I feel I'm part of what's going on down there. And no, for a couple of days afterwards, I was getting messages uh, from all over the place. And my favourite was a guy who said he was watching it in Sydney Casino early hours of the morning, and he said the place basically was full of big, rugged, hairy Australian sheep farmers, and they were all in floods of tears. He said he'd never seen anything like it. I said, well, neither have I. I dare say I never will again, but I'm just glad the way it went, it fell out. Yeah, it certainly was a, a special night, and as you say, it, it was a, a perfect timing with the, the yeah. music at the end, and we've spoken so much about that. And of course, that Barcelona win led to Liverpool then beating Tottenham in the final. Yeah. Were you able to, to get over for that no. game in Madrid? No. No? Where, where did you end up watching it? Front room with my wife, as usual. I'm pretty happy to watch it with my wife in the front room, but I would love to have been there, but it just doesn't happen they are here uh, not included in the in the plans when it gets the big finals because once upon a time uh, up until istanbul uefa used to like having the stadium speakers from the, the clubs there but they they changed all that in uh the run-up to istanbul so that was the end of that i'm afraid yeah but it was uh, certainly a special night for liverpool football oh, woman and certainly, Absolutely. I'm sure you would have enjoyed watching that. I, I did, we did, we did. Um, you know, of course, the first thought was, it's a, it's a bit odd playing another English team in a big fine like that. But once you get your head around that, it's still the Champions League final. And when you, when you finish, you get hold of your ears. And then, you know, the, uh, the celebrations you know, are just out of this world that was probably the you know the best day best weekend in the history of this city whichever side of the park you're on it was just amazing yeah it certainly was and hopefully fingers crossed we will get back to normal sooner rather than later yes. and, and there can be a premier league title parade and, and all the celebrations that come with yes. that but uh, for now george thank you very much for coming on the podcast we really do My appreciate pleasure. that and that's all from us today. Make sure to like, subscribe and leave a comment or a review wherever you're listening or watching. And we'll be back soon right here on the Blood Red channel. You've been listening to the Blood Red podcast from the Liverpool Echo.